62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, how do we apply these truths to our lives? Let me give you some suggestions that you can write down, ways to apply these truths. Number one, be careful who you give your money to. Don't support false teachers, no matter how dramatic and heart-wrenching those appeals are. Don't give money to ministries because of uh, some kind of tug at your heart. Don't do that. Don't let them use you like that. Make sure, first of all, they preach the gospel. Don't give to someone who just says the word and name Jesus, but you don't hear anything about the cross and, and justification by faith. Years ago, an issue of Reader's Digest contained this interesting story about counterfeiting in Zambia. It said, If you're planning to vacation in Zambia, beware of the street corner emerald vendors. And the emerald vendors is in quotation marks, by the way. And if you're driving, it said, be prepared for some confusion in the streets due to stolen traffic lights. The two warnings are related. The traffic light thieves are selling green glass chips to unsuspecting tourists who think they're getting bargain basement emeralds. Well, you know, that's not too different from what's going on today in the world of preaching here in our own country. Some preachers are the real deal, though, and I am pleased to be able to introduce one of them here on Verse by Verse. He's Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. As we consider some of the signs and dangers of a false teacher today, Pastor Steve will share a little of what makes Lakeside special in that regard. One of the things you want to look for when looking for a church is financial transparency. Another is clear biblical teaching on salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His payment for our sin debt as the complete and only path to eternal life. In our last class, Pastor Steve shared one of the common responses by false teachers to criticism of their greed. They claim that God wants all his children to be wealthy because they are children of the king. Well, indeed, we are children of the king. But the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 9, Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, that's exactly the opposite of what these false teachers say. Here's Pastor Steve now with another common response to criticism of the prosperity gospel. Secondly, if you challenge them on their prosperity gospel, they will also tell you that Jesus is our example, and he, they would say, was not poor. In fact, they would say he was quite wealthy. In fact, I told you last week, that's behind the thinking of a man like Fred Price when he made the statement that I'm following Jesus, and that's why I drive a Rolls Royce. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Was Jesus wealthy? Well, we're told that he was. In fact, John Avanzini on a TBN program said this, and I quote, John 19 tells us that Jesus wore designer clothes. Well, he said, what else are you going to call it? Designer clothes? That's blasphemy. No, that's what we call them today. I mean, you didn't get that stuff off the rack. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all deal. No, this was custom stuff. It was the kind of a garment that kings and rich merchants wore that garment. He is referring to, uh, on the night of his arrest, when, uh, when the soldiers arrested him, Jesus had a garment, an outer garment, not the inner garment, but an outer garment that uh, 
was rather well made. In fact, you remember that's why the soldiers cast lots for it. They didn't want to tear it in half or in four places. Yeah, it was a nice outfit. But but listen, to to build an argument, to base an argument that Jesus was wealthy because he had one outfit that was nice on the night he arrested him, that's just poor hermeneutics or method of interpretation. For all we know, for all we know, maybe some wealthy person made it for him. After all, Jesus healed a lot of people and cast demons out of a lot of people. There may have been included in that group some wealthy person just said, Lord, I want to do this for you. So maybe his mother made that for him, and that uh, was the one really nice thing that he had. We, we don't know. But to say that he was wealthy because he had one nice outfit, that's, that's just poor interpretation. In fact, the Bible does not present Jesus as a wealthy man who had the most expensive wardrobe in all of Israel. He is not presented like that. But let me tell you something you may not have, have heard or thought about. The Bible also doesn't present Jesus Christ as poor, born into poverty, sort of a homeless person who calls his followers to live a life of poverty. Let me explain. At the time of of Christ, Israel had a uh, very small but very influential, wealthy upper class. Small, influential. They also had a very large population of poor people. So a very small group of people who were wealthy, very large group of people who were poor. But in the middle, in the middle, there was a middle class made up of craftsmen and tradesmen. This would include uh, farmers. Toolmakers, builders, people, people with a profession like that. Now, the family of Jesus would have fit into the economy of being middle class. It was Joseph, his father, who had a construction business. Now, you say, that doesn't sound right, construction business. I thought he was a carpenter. Uh, the Bible says and translates it carpenter, but the Greek word that's used for carpenter can also be and probably should be translated builder. Builder does not mean he was limited to to wood, working with wood. In fact, if you go to Israel, you'll notice there are far more stones in Israel than there is wood. When you see on on the television, the Palestinians, and you hear about them throwing rocks, these are not little pebbles. These are not pebbles. These are stones that if they hit you in the head, you die. Everywhere in Israel are stones. They have no shortage of stones. They do have a shortage of wood. That's why when, when someone goes to Israel today, we, uh, we plant trees to replenish the forestry. It is more likely that Joseph built houses of stones than wood furniture, though he may have done some of that. We also know from historians that during the time of Christ, construction was absolutely flourishing around the Galilee area, and that's where he would have grown up. That's where he did grow up, in Nazareth. It's not on the Sea of Galilee, but it's in the district of Galilee. So it is very likely that Joseph had a successful construction business and provided for his family a very comfortable, middle-class lifestyle. And keep this in mind, at the death of Joseph, which we assume happened, in, in uh, the gospel accounts, though we're not, it's not revealed to us, but you never hear about him after a while. We would assume that when, when he died, he died during the lifetime of Jesus. And Jesus, being the oldest son in the family, would have received, remember what a, what a son received in, in Jewish families? They received, the oldest son received a double inheritance. So I think Jesus would have been very comfortable. I think he would have been very middle class in terms of economy. You say, but wait a minute. He said 
foxes have places, and uh, but I don't have a place to, to lay my head. Well, I think when you take that into account, it has to be this, that after he began his ministry, that's when he depended upon others to house him and feed him and take care of him. This is really no different than somebody today who goes into missions. They may have been raised in a very wealthy family. They may have been raised in a very comfortable middle-class family. But when you become a missionary, you depend on God's people to take care of you for support. It's no different than what, what happened with Jesus. But to say that he was born into poverty and he was uh, basically homeless, uh, I don't think that's accurate at all. So he wasn't wealthy, but he certainly wasn't financially destitute. But some people see it that way, and they would say that he was financially destitute, and he calls us as his followers to, to be like that, especially those in the ministry. Said the biblical perspective is this for ministers, that those in the ministry, while they're not to be greedy, and they're certainly not to make a million dollars, it is the responsibility of God's people to make sure that they're provided for so they can concentrate on ministry and not have to be uh, distracted with their financial concerns. So let me, let me explain. This is an appropriate place to do this. In contrast to false teachers who are greedy, the New Testament specifically commands true teachers and true pastors, true shepherds, not to be greedy and not to minister for the sake of money. Where does it say that? Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 5, just uh, probably one page in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Peter writes, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And watch this. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Don't do it for money. What you do, do because God has called you. Do it with eagerness. Do it to serve. Then in First Timothy chapter 3, Paul is laying down about 20 qualifications for an elder or a pastor. And he says in verse 3, at the end, they are to be free from the love of money. A man who loves money should not be a pastor. Why? Well, there's many reasons, but one is that if he loves money, he is no longer qualified to minister because ministry isn't something that you charge for. If you charge for it, it's called business. If you minister, it's not something you can charge for. I was once asked to speak at a uh, at a conference and uh the man who contacted me to speak said something to the effect of, and uh, how much do we owe you? How much should we pay you? And I said, listen, I never charge for ministry. Otherwise, it's not ministry. Do whatever you think is appropriate. But I want you to know that uh, in, in Christian circles, and I'm not talking about now just false teachers, but in even in Christian circles, that's not always the case. You try to get many uh, a speaker or a musician to come and speak at your church or or minister at your church or uh, or retreat or, or or conference, and uh, they won't come unless you can guarantee them not just a fee but a good fee, a real good fee. Listen, that's not ministry. That's not ministry. That's business. And and in all fairness to them, I understand sometimes why they do this. I don't justify it, but sometimes they have gone out of their way and, and have used their own expense to do this and then got nada, zero, from those who they ministered to, and that's not right either. But listen, you just trust the Lord on that. Those of you preparing for ministry or in the ministry, you don't charge. 
You trust the Lord. And yes, sometimes you get nada. And other times you get far more than you deserve. So you just you just trust the Lord. I remember, um, and I know I told you this, but it's been a while. I was talking um, years ago. I was at a wedding and uh, in the reception, sitting next to uh, or near somebody who was talking about. Uh, he left his business to go into, and he called it ministry. And they were developing some kind of uh, nutritional supplements and food to help endurance athletes. And you know, I I try to run. And so I thought, I, I need all the endurance I can get. And so uh, now this guy said, he left his business, he went into this, and I heard him say ministry. I want to do ministry, he said. So I asked him about uh, me meeting with him and learning more about this. And he looked at me with a very condescending look and said, no, you don't have enough money for this. And I thought, it's business. You're not in ministry. In business. Listen, a true servant of God is not after your money. Not after your money. Paul said, I have coveted no one's gold and no one's silver. He doesn't do things for you in order to get your money. He's not covetous. He ministers to you out of love. But false teachers are not like that. And that's that's what we're looking at. They always have dollar signs in their eyes. They look at you as people who can, can just help them to make money, not as people they can serve. Now, the Apostle Paul was very sensitive in this area. This area of, of, of money and ministry. In fact, he went out of his way, remember, to support himself financially. He was a tent maker. And, uh, he said in Acts chapter 20, I've coveted no man's gold, no man's silver. These, these hands have taken care of my own needs and the needs of those who are with me. He said the same thing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter Two. Now, why did Paul do that? Because he didn't want people to misunderstand him. He didn't want people, especially at that era in history, who didn't know about Christ and didn't know about Christianity, didn't know about the gospel, to think that he was just one more person peddling his message to make money, as there were many charlatans all through the Roman Empire. So he said, I don't want you to misunderstand. I want you to think I'm here to get anything from you. I will work and support myself. However, and it's a big however, you should understand this. Though Paul chose to support himself, he did lay down permanent biblical guidelines commanding churches to support their pastors. And that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is where you go. This is the permanent biblical commands. It's just as binding on us as the qualifications for elders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let me read it and then I'll explain. He says, the elders who rule well, and by elders, speaking of pastors, who rule well, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, those pastors, he says, who serve with the greatest amount of excellence and effort are to be given double honor. What is double honor? It doesn't mean that you give them two paychecks. It's not what double honor means. It certainly doesn't mean that he gets a million-dollar salary. The honor he's talking about is twofold. Number one, it is respect, respect for his office. That's the first honor. Number two, it is financial remuneration. It's double honor, respect and financial remuneration. How do we know he's talking about financial remuneration? Because he gives us the illustration of an ox. An ox, he quotes from the Old Testament. He also quotes, actually, when he says the laborer is worthy of his wages, he's actually quoting from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10, which would... Uh, indicate to us, reveal to us that Paul considered Luke's gospel to be scripture. 
That's just a, a side note. But his point is this, just as an ox which worked hard to provide physical food for others was entitled to be fed, so those faithful pastors who work hard to provide spiritual food for their congregations are to be provided for in a financial way. That's the church's responsibility. So from the perspective of of a pastor, his responsibility is to minister freely. He does it unto the Lord. He doesn't do it for money. He's, He's not doing it with any expectation. He's not charging for what he does. He trusts the Lord to provide for him. But from the perspective of a congregation, it is their responsibility to provide for his needs so that he's not tempted, and watch this, so that he's not tempted to be greedy because he doesn't have enough money to meet his financial needs. You see, it's a twofold thing. The church has a responsibility. The man has a responsibility. That's how it's supposed to work. But false teachers don't operate this way. That's not how they they work. Why? Because Peter says they're trained in greed. They're experts at this. They don't serve anyone freely. Their services come with a price tag. And they expect you to make them wealthy. Now, how do we apply these truths to our lives? Let me give you some suggestions that you can write down of ways to apply these truths. Number one, be careful who you give your money to. Don't support false teachers, no matter how dramatic and heart-wrenching those appeals are. Don't give money to ministries because of uh, some kind of tug at your heart. Don't do that. Don't let them use you like that. Make sure, first of all, they preach the gospel. Don't give to someone who just says the word and name Jesus, but you don't hear anything about the cross and, and justification by faith. And don't give your money to any organization that doesn't have financial integrity. Listen, you ought to be able to ask for all of their financial records. And if they don't give it to you, they have something to hide. If anybody ever here wants to know about our financial records, you you call the office. And our financial administrator will, will disclose everything to you that you want to know. We have nothing to hide. In fact, when you go through membership, we bring in Jim Carmichael, our business financial administrator, and he tells you, what we do with money, how we get it, how we spend it, how the accountability there. So don't give to an organization if they can't do that kind of stuff. Because if they can't, they have something to hide. They need to have financial disclosure of records and accountability. Second, be careful not to follow there the false teacher's example of greediness. We all, even if we're believers, can, can be greedy. Jesus said it is better and more blessed to give than to receive. Now, either that's true or it's not. Don't be greedy. The love of money, Paul said, leads to all kinds of of evil. It is idolatry. To love money is idolatry. It's the reason the rich young ruler would not follow Jesus, because he had a lot of money and he was wealthy. Jesus said, give it all away, because it's a God in your life. The Bible says he turned away, and and though Jesus loved him, he was very sad, saddened by this this attitude. The, The issue is this. No matter where you are financially, be content with what you have. Be content. Be content. Doesn't mean don't work hard, but be content. Don't keep striving after the great American dream. Number three, those of you either in ministry or preparing for ministry, don't ever, ever, ever charge for your ministry. Otherwise, you are not a minister. You are a businessman. Trust the Lord to care for you. Trust the Lord to provide for you. And don't have certain expectations of people or you will inevitably end up frustrated and even bitter. You trust the Lord. He'll he'll care for you. 
And you know what? The wonderful thing about salvation is that it's free. It's free. It cost God his son. The price was paid for, but you don't have to pay for it. Jesus died for your sins. Our whole faith, our whole faith rests in the truth that salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift freely offered to us. That's the foundation of, of everything we believe. It is a gift. It doesn't cost you a thing because Jesus paid it all. He died for our sins so that we don't have to pay that price in eternity. Let's bow for prayer. And as we are still and quiet before the Lord, this is a good time for you to consider your attitude towards these things we've been talking about. Your attitude about money, your perspective of, of false teachers. Do you, do you, God forbid, give to ministries like this? You ought not to. You ought not to. You ought to be discerning. You ought to be hearing what they're really saying and, and not, not giving to an organization or a church, for that matter, that would preach another gospel. Be careful. Don't fall for dramatic appeals. Don't give to things that are just absolutely ridiculous. Don't do that. It's not your money anyway. It's the Lord's money. He wants you to be a good steward of it. And don't follow their example of greediness. Have you become greedy in, in your life? You know, how can we as God's people be greedy when God has been so generous to us? We have far more than we deserve. We're to be a generous people. Don't make money an idol. It's only money. That's all. Don't make it an idol. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you're in ministry, then you do it unto the Lord. You do it for Christ. You do it because you love God's people. And I say to those of you who have never trusted Jesus as Lord and, and Savior, it is free. Salvation is the gift of God. It's through faith in Christ. He's paid for your sins, so you don't have to pay. If you'd like to speak to someone, one of our, our elders, our leaders after the service, it's open to you to come up to the front here and speak to them about coming to faith in Christ. It's already been paid for for you, but salvation is not yours until you trust him. I'm going to give you a few moments to pray to the Lord, speak to him, make sure our hearts are right before him, and then I'll close. Father, help us. Help us to be discerning for all that's out there and all that we're exposed to, Lord, and some who would deceive us to lure us away from the truth of the gospel and the truth of, of biblical principles to just pour money into their hands. Lord, help us as God's people to be wise and even spiritually shrewd. Father, I, I pray that um, you'll help us to be a people who understand these things, a people who are not gullible, a people, Lord, who would not follow the way of, of Balaam ourselves, a people who would not make money the determining factor in, in our decisions, but the issue would be truth, and the issue would be if it's your will. I pray for those who are preparing for the ministry, that you'll help them, Lord, to pursue righteousness and godliness, not money. I pray, Father, for each of us, so you help us to be givers and not greedy, money-hungry people. And I pray for those who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, may the gospel shine into their hearts. May they understand that it is a gift 
purchased by Christ's death for them and that offered to them freely to be received by faith. I pray you'll, you'll make this clear and you'll draw them to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Steve. And thank you, listener friends, for being here for another Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff has just concluded another message in his series on the dangers of false teachers. There are two more messages to go in this series, so I hope you'll be able to be with us for them. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you have questions about what you've heard on today's broadcast, I hope you'll call and talk to someone. Or if you've trusted Christ or been blessed perhaps in other ways listening to Verse by Verse, we would be thrilled to know about it. Call us at 727-239-0306. And if you're calling outside of normal business hours, please leave your name and a daytime phone number and someone will return your call. That number again is 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. Find out more about that or check into our audio archives at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff.